Blog Talk Radio. and Sports Talk. Today is Wednesday, January 29th. Tonight, we welcome two very special guests, former Atlanta Braves World Series champion Marquise Grissom and National Recruiting Director for CBS Sports, J.C. Sherbert. Before we get started, here are a few reminders. We would love to hear from you, and here are several ways to weigh in. Call us at 646-716- Five five six four, or join us in the chat room by listening online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino, or follow us on Twitter at Wayne Sports. Now here's your host Brian Tarvin and co-host Trey Patterson. Let's weigh in. Thank you, Michelle, for the wonderful intro, and and I just have to brag on my wife, Michelle. I get people all the time asking me, hey, who's, do you hire a professional to come in and do the intro? And I'm like, no, that's my wife. But, but you know what? She sounds better than a professional. So thanks to my beautiful wife, Michelle, for doing the intro for us. It just gives the show something extra, and I appreciate it. But welcome, everyone. Hopefully you're not stuck in the snow, stuck on the roads, in the ice. It's been a disaster the last couple of days here in Atlanta. And no, we cannot drive in the snow. We we can't function in the ice. So I know a lot of people around the country are making fun of the southern people the last couple of days. But but man, for some people I know, it's been it's been a total nightmare. People getting stuck on the roads for twelve, fourteen hours, can't get home. But you know, I got home yesterday. I lived close. I walked home, and we have power. We have food. We have water, we have electricity, I mean, everything, internet, telephone, anything we need, we have, and we're just very thankful, and and thoughts and prayers go out to everyone affected in a negative way by this storm that hit us yesterday at lunchtime all of a sudden, so, sorry, I had to get a drink of water, Um, but just prayers and thoughts go to everyone out there. It's been a tough couple of days. Hopefully, the sun will come out tomorrow, the temperatures will go up above freezing, so we can get back to normal lives. So everyone out there, we're thinking about you here at Way in Sports. And if you need anything, please let us know. I am in the Atlanta area. And just like Michelle said, during the introduction, two very special guests tonight. We have Marquise Grissom, the former Atlanta Braves outfielder. He's very special to me. When I was in high school watching the Braves play, he gave Atlanta the only World Series I can remember, ever to remember. So very special uh, baseball player, in my opinion, so I'm, I'm very happy to have him on the show. And, and for the college football fans out there, National Signing Day is next Wednesday. I have jury duty. Hopefully I, I won't be picked on this jury so I can get home and watch some recruiting. But J.C. Sherbert, he's the National Director of Recruiting for CBS Sports. Uh, he's going to be with us tonight. I'm very excited because nobody's really talking about recruiting right now, which is odd. Maybe it's there's not as much drama, but usually the last five to seven days before recruiting, it heats up. Well, here we are, seven days away, and I'm sure JC's got 
got a few little tricks for us, uh, some nuggets to pass along. I mean, Alabama's getting richer. You know, they lost a few recruits, and all of a sudden they gained some five-star athletes to replace those guys. Alabama hiring Lane Kiffin as the offensive coordinator. We're going to find out from, from J.C. how that's going to affect them down the stretch. So far, it doesn't look like it's affecting them at all in a negative way. So we're, we have a lot to cover tonight. And guess what Sunday is, everybody? It is Super Bowl Sunday, as you know. And I want to give in the call-in number before we start talking about it, 646-716-5564. Again, that's 646-716-5564. If you'd like to call in, ask any question, that's fine. Call in, join us in the chat room. Usually we start at 9 o'clock, but tonight we're going to start just a tad bit early. So thanks for your patience and joining us. Marquise will be on at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's about 26 minutes away followed at 9.45 p.m. Eastern by J.C. Sherbert. So we have a huge show in store. Hopefully I will not have to do this show alone. That's what my hopes are because nobody wants to sit here and listen to me talk, especially me, uh, for two hours. So please, if you want to call in and join me, call in. Trey's going to try to join us in a few minutes. He's going through a couple little things. He was affected by the snow as well in the ice, so hopefully he can he can give us a ring tonight. And the Super Bowl, like I said, is being played in New Jersey Sunday night between the Denver Broncos out of the AFC and the Seattle Seahawks from the NFC. And I've, I've looked at this game as many ways as I can, and the end result is the Denver Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl this year. I, I just look at it, analyze it. And people, a lot of people seem to be on Seattle, and I think it's, you know, they played in the NFC, they beat San Francisco, they they look dominant. But one thing people forget when you start talking about the Super Bowl, it is on a neutral field, and Seattle will not have that home field advantage that made them unbeatable almost this season. They lost to Arizona late in the season at home, but I don't count that. I mean, Seattle, when they want to play football at home, they play. The crowd knows the games that are important. They know the games that are not. And and looking at Seattle, I look at that defense, and I like what I see. It's very strong up front. They have some good linebackers, a great secondary. But, you know, what Peyton Manning is a quarterback that can take your strengths and, and really expose your weaknesses. And I just don't think Seattle, and we'll see what everybody thinks in just a few minutes, I don't think Seattle has the weapons on offense to be able to score enough points on a cold day in New York to to be able to outduel Peyton Manning. At the end of the day, this is Peyton Manning's Super Bowl. I just think he's going to take it serious. You don't hear anything out of him, trash-talking-wise, anything like that. All you hear is business from Peyton Manning. Sherman did an interview. He commented in an interview this week about Peyton Manning, that he's one of the best to ever play the game, but he throws a lot of ducks, and he comes back and tries to – you know, pad it a little bit and say, well, when he gets it, it's, he's not always lined up with the laces. But let's go ahead and think. This is Sherman talking here. You know there's there's something he's saying negative about a player. But I wonder what he's going to say Sunday night when the Super Bowl's over and Peyton Manning carves this defense up. I want to know what he says then. It's always easy to talk trash when you're winning, but let's see how he reacts if he loses. And you look at this. Pete Carroll, the coach of Seattle, Jeff Fox at Denver. Is Pete Carroll, in your opinion, a Super Bowl caliber coach? I say no. I mean, that's my opinion of the guy. 
a great college recruiter at Southern Cal. I mean, a lot of five-star talent he had to choose from. He beat up on some weak Pac-12 teams, and, you know, he won a couple of championships. But, but let's face it, this is the NFL. And who was Pete Carroll before Russell Wilson came along and before this defense got good? I mean, where was he? He was a sub-500 coach, really, in the NFL. He wasn't doing anything special at Seattle. The the fans, haven't they haven't grown or changed or anything. They've always been there. So the crowd's loud now, the team's successful. But Pete Carroll is a beneficiary, really, of, of having a great defense, having home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and having a dynamic quarterback. But, but now there's going to be a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on this Russell Wilson kid, his second year in the NFL, a lot of pressure to play against Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl. Can he beat Peyton Manning? I don't think so, but things happen when you get in the cold weather, you get in neutral fields. Denver, like I've I've said on the show for weeks and weeks, I'm just not that impressed with them. Sure, they were the best team in September, early October, but they've really declined, in my opinion. If you watch them play, they, they just quit playing defense. The offense struggled a little bit more, but Peyton Manning looks like... He understands that the, how big these playoffs are, that he just went through, how big this Super Bowl is. This could be his last game as an NFL quarterback. And I think a lot of people out there across the nation is going to be watching this game. There's a lot of a lot of people that, that really could care less about Seattle or Denver, but they care about Peyton Manning. So I think the ratings will be through the roof on this Super Bowl. And I think people want to see Peyton Manning succeed. Why not? Do you want to see Sherman succeed, Russell Wilson, Peyton Manning? Who do you want to succeed? And the number is 646-716-5564. And we will be doing the Marquise Grissom interview in 20 minutes. So, again, I hope everybody's safe from the snow. Sonia's in the chat room right now. She, she had a great story to tell. I, I talked to her last night on her way back from work. I think she left work at about 1 o'clock. And she was still driving at 10, almost. So her and Jason in Atlanta traffic, man, I I, I just couldn't do it like they did. There's no way. My wife looked at me last night, and I said, she said, I'm glad you're not in that traffic. Uh, I mean, it's it's a blessing. I would not be here tonight probably doing this show if I had been stuck on Interstate 85, 285, 75, wherever. So you know what? My legs work good. I got to walk. So I'm very happy. Yeah, Trey and Sonia are in the chat room. Trey, call on in when you can. And, uh, yeah, Sonia, Sonia said they made videos to pass the time. I saw those videos. Hilarious. But you guys stay calm. I have to give kudos and props where they're due. You guys stayed a lot calmer than I would have been. Oh, man. And Trey, like I said, he got hit by some of the snow and ice. And why do people make fun of the Southerners, you know, with snow and all this? Well, Watching TV, if you watch CNN, you'll see why. We get a couple of inches of snow and the whole city gets crippled because everybody wants to get on the road at the same time. Uh, make fun of us all you want, but hopefully history does not get repeated. Hopefully we learn from this history and we do not make the same mistake, wow, that we've, that we've done. So look, Atlanta, get out there, get some ice, get some salt trucks out, do some work before the snow actually starts sticking next time. That would be great before the traffic lets out. But, hey, I won't harp. Back on to the Super Bowl real quick. I mean, we have a great matchup in store 
Well, let's look at the wide receivers for Denver, how they're going to stack up against the secondary of Seattle. And uh, I just look at this, and Sherman can't do it all, guys. They're going to go away. From, I think I think Peyton Manning is going to go away from, from Sherman a little bit, get, him, get in his head, maybe frustrate him, maybe go deep, maybe on a couple of wheel routes or something, try to get him one-on-one and get lucky maybe a little bit. But Sherman is the best corner in the NFL, no doubt about it. But Peyton Manning, let me tell you this, he is not scared of Sherman. He's not scared of, of anyone right now. We have a Scott caller right now calling in. You're on way in sports. Who's this and where are you from? Hi, this is Lardasio, and I'm calling for uh, J.C. Sherbutt. Is he in? No, he's not in, sir. If you, if you, if you know how to read, you'd know what time it was. All right. Sorry about that. I'm back. Sonia is on the line right now. Sonia, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Doing good. I'm glad to see you made it home safely. Oh, dude. <laughs> we There's nothing we could do. It was like, you just deal with it. You know, what are you going to do? Unless you have a chitty-chitty bang-bang or <laughs> some sort of future space car, you just um, excuse me, you just have to sit there, you know, but we did have some funny things that were going on, and uh, I had to call in when you started talking about the whole Northerners, Northerners thing. And the one thing that I have to say, I have to agree with you, first of all, but I have to give a shout-out to all of, and it's not all people from the North who move South, so this is not towards all of you. It's to that one little small demographic that loves, loves to preface everything with, God, now here in the South, you guys insert insult here. And they love, especially when something like this happens, they love to talk about the fact that, oh, you guys can't drive in the snow, and, oh, this is nothing up you know, where, uh, where I'm from, and uh, this is, I used to drive in this all the time. You guys are just a bunch of wussies, blah, blah, blah. No, you nimrod. <laughs> We're not stupid. We're just, we just have sense enough not to try to drive on ice. That's number one. Okay, we know that beneath that wonderful little one or one or two inches of snow that we have, it's two inches of solid ice. That's why we stay home. That's number one. Number two, if you want to come to the South and insult and, and just disrespect all the people that live in the South, why are you here? Delta flies twenty four seven. You can grab a ticket. <laughs> Hop and go back to that great northern state that if it's so great, why are you here? So that's a big pet peeve of mine. <laughs> well, Sonia, how many cars did you see on the side of the road that had a an up north tag on the back? <laughs> well, the one, I, we tried to video this. I have to upload it. But we were coming down this one hill, and this tag, this baby in front of us, Got stuck, started spinning around. Of course, she, you know, screws it up. She's got us all backed up. She's got Pennsylvania tags, and everybody who was getting past her had Georgia tags, so I had to laugh about that a little bit. You know, not about her getting stuck, but just the, the irony of the situation. But the, the coolest guy, the only person that we know of, especially in Powder Springs, that's actually mobile right now, there is this one guy, as we were sitting, we were on the, um, the corner of Ostel and East-West Connector, so we're sitting there, 
and we look up, or, you know, I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and I see this guy rolling down the sidewalk in this motorized wheelchair. And he is just gone. And everybody sitting in their cars is like, dang. <laughs> I wish I had one of those. <laughs> so the person who doesn't have use of his legs was actually getting somewhere faster than we were. Yeah, Sonia, I walked home yesterday, and it didn't take me too long. You know, most people live far away, you know, from where they work, and they can't do that. But, my gosh, I mean, you can't drive on ice, and that's what I, people don't understand. It doesn't matter where you're from, how good you are behind the wheel. Ice, is, it doesn't matter. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to drive on. I don't care if you have four-wheel drive, chains, <laughs> anything. It's, you can't drive on ice. But that's what the people don't understand up north. When they're looking down here, they don't realize it was a sheet of ice covering the road. It wasn't just snow. Exactly. And the fact, too, we don't get this. Like, they, they're they used to it. We get this every blue moon. Every once in a while we get a storm like this. So there's no need for us to have, you know, salt trucks and sand trucks at the ready every other day. <laughs> you know, it hardly ever happens. But I do have to say I am sorely, sorely, sorely disappointed in the state of Georgia, our, our local government here. It made no sense for the things. It's just totally inexcusable for all of the things that happened, especially the kids being stranded and having to stay overnight at their schools and on school buses and right there. Now, that, no reason, no reason to have that. No, it's not. It's just a, a total failure. But you know what I say to people up there laughing? Come spend the summer with us in Atlanta. Stay oh, in August yeah. with us. See, see how you see how tough you are then <laughs> when you when you're drinking about twenty bottles of water and you can't <laughs> even stay hydrated. I see a lot of football teams, Sonia, come down south in in September and they can't handle it. So let's see how they do. That's right, dude. They start complaining when it's eighty, and it's funny you mentioned that because one of the teams, I think it was um, Kent State, a couple of years ago, they came down to practice with Bama and to get some tips from Saban and things like that. And uh, a couple of the players were saying that they, they're like, I could, you know, the fact that it was air conditioned and, and Bama had such nice facilities, but if they had to do that every single day, they probably would not play football. <laughs> now, I, I remember a, a football story here I'll share. And Washington State came to Auburn. It was probably just about eight years ago, seven years ago, something like that. And they, I mean, it was a they got killed, you know. But they were in the hospital. Most of their team was in the emergency room in the hospital, suffering from dehydration, real bad cramps, and different things. It's not only the the physical you have to put up with, but it's the it's the heat. And my God, Boise State would not even come to Athens and play, would they? Because of of the humidity, <laughs> they wanted oh. to play in the dome the second time. That is just ridiculous. And I just saw um, a notice from Trey. Trey, his wife is still str- – that is just crazy. Oh, my wow. God. I'm sorry. <laughs> that just, I saw yeah, that. I'm about, to, I'm, about to bring, I'm about to bring Trey on right now. Trey, you're in, man. I hope your wife's okay. Where's she at? Yeah, she was up in D.C. when the storm broke for uh, some schooling. And, uh, yeah, she got stuck in Charlotte, North Carolina, and all flights are out. So she's been living in airports and hotels, bouncing around. Uh, for a couple of days now, so um, yeah. So if you hear a kid screaming in the background, I got my two-month-old and eighteen-month-old in my in my arms right now. So, uh, well, Trey, Trey you slept eight hours days. and four days. Eight hours and four days. Yeah. Is that a record for you? 
<laughs> you know, I said, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's a record that you don't want to be uh, trying to get a hold of. The kids have been, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people are, you know, not sleeping because, you know, they have worse situations than I do. So I don't want to complain about the fact that I get to hold my kids and the worst they're doing is keeping me up at night. But, uh, Aww. yeah, it's, uh, it's been... It's been an interesting couple of days here in the South, in Montgomery, Birmingham, uh, Atlanta, where, where you guys are. Yeah, I just, uh, I'll, I'll agree with Sonia. You know, you're talking about city planning, Sonia. You know, Montgomery got it a little bit right. They they let out the schools the day before. They saw this coming, and for some reason, Birmingham and Atlanta just didn't get there. Um, and it, I think that's the one criticism and the disappointment of all this, because certainly the human factor has been kind of amazing. I mean, people... You know, you talk about rednecks starving in, in the South. Well, people were on four-wheelers uh, going up the interstate, giving them food and water, taking them to, you know, warm safety. Uh, you know, you don't get a lot of people with four-wheelers in other parts of the country who can do that kind of thing for people. And that was awesome. Their hearts. So that's amazing. <laughs> amazing stories that come out of this. And the cops. Yeah, I mean, uh, the cops, man. Yeah, they helped a lot. But did. I just I do want to thank some people that I read about and some heroes out there. That one guy was on vacation was in Atlanta. He he was from D.C. actually on vacation and went out and rescued a lady. I think she was pregnant actually and and helped her got her to safety and everything. Man, they're in the north, I don't think anybody would stop by and give you the birds. All they would give you. But <laughs> Sonia, would you oh. Sonia would would you, would you like to tell us talk about the Super Bowl real quick before we get Marquise on? I sure would. Well, who do you, you like know in the I... Super Bowl? Peyton! Pay-Pay! My quarterback, my fantasy football quarterback. Go Broncos! Go Peyton! Go Pay-Pay! All right, Trey, who do you like, man? I mean, Peyton Manning is a slight favorite in this game. Vegas started out with Seattle a favorite. It's moved to Denver as a favorite. Is there any way Seattle can outscore the Denver Broncos on a neutral field? Yeah, I mean, let me let me throw a stat at you, Tarvin, that has really bothered me about predicting this game. Uh, the last seven teams who have set the NFL record for points in a season, uh, and by the way, the Denver Broncos were, I think, number eight, if my math is correct. If I'm, you know, if I'm not misstating my own fact that I prepared for the show, uh, none of them have won the Super Bowl, Tarvin. They're 0 7. So that 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 bothers me a little bit about when you talk about high pro, you know, high power offenses coming into the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I add in a little bit of weather to this game. There's going to be super cold. Um, you know, there's all kinds of factors to consider. I mean, Peyton Manning's play in the cold weather, uh, the fact that Russell Wilson hasn't been hot in the playoffs. I mean, so this game has a lot of weird factors to it, Tarvin, uh, which leads me to believe that Seattle may get this done uh, by a very, very slight margin. But, you know, you, you talk about the kicker edge, and that kind of goes to Denver too. So I think this is going to be a very close game, and I just like Seattle's D. Um, in the cold weather. That's what I like about the, this game, and I'm going to stick with Seattle in this game, uh, going against my preseason pick of Denver. Wow. Sonia, he's picking Seattle. I'm picking Denver. Have, are you surprised we haven't heard much of Sherman this week in the form of negative comments? You know, <laughs> I tried my best. It, it, if you notice, I never posted anything about the whole Richard Sherman story, number one, because there was more important stuff going on in the world. <laughs> than what some player said, uh, ribbing another player. But to me, it was so stupid. The man, he was in the moment. He's not a thug. He was just, you know, he was hyped. It, to me, it was just like um, Courtney Upshaw saying that, touch that thing, folk. You know, he doesn't speak like that all the time, but he was in the moment. And I think people take things seriously. 
it's football, folks, okay? It's not like he was at some national summit talking to a head of state. So I think he's laying low. The, the last time I saw him or anything on him, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, or no, I'm sorry, uh, Friday or Monday, he was at um, whenever the basketball game was up there, and they did a, a quick little blurb with him, and he was saying the same thing. He's just concentrating. He's not even dealing with all that. Yeah, it's it's you stick a Trey, you stick a microphone in in a player's face sometimes. Right after in the heat of the moment, you're going to get some weird answers. And I'm getting a a background noise from one of y'all, and I'm I'm hearing my echo. Can y'all check that? Let me check mine. Hold on. Yeah, Tom, yeah I was on mute, buddies, when you were doing that. So okay, I'm if y'all are on mute, speaker or anything, okay, if y'all are on speaker or anything, please take that off the R. But Trey. You know, in the heat of the moment, athletes say some crazy things. And it's just like if, if, Trey, you're in a fist fight with somebody and you win real quick and somebody comes up to you and says something, your first reaction is probably going to be to punch them too. That's kind of where Sherman was, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest. The, all the whole thug talk really kind of it really made me a little bit angry about the way we describe college football and, and, you know, pro football and the way we describe athletes who, who do things like that. I mean, you're talking about a Stanford grad, a guy who uh, probably has an SAT higher than most football fans. I mean, this guy's a pretty smart guy to be even getting into Stanford. Uh, and then you have, you know, people like Justin Bieber who go out and do worse things, and they just say, oh, this is a crazy kid. You know, I mean, Richard Sherman, you know, basically said I'm the best player at my position, uh, and I dominated a receiver who I don't think is that good. And who shoved me in the face at the end of the game, and I said, good game. Yeah, I have no problem with what, what Sherman said. I mean, it was the heat of the moment. Uh, you know, you chalk that up to you want a competitor on your team. Uh, it's a different story that he's in a press conference after that, and he's still doing that. I mean, he was, you know, probably, what, 65, 70 seconds out of that play. I mean, so um, I just thought it was blown way out of proportion. I think Richard Sherman is um, an intense player. And that's why he's one of the best in the game in his position is because he plays the game to win, uh, and he plays with a chip on his shoulder. And that's, I mean, heck, Deion Sanders did that. Well, well, Sonia, you know, you never know what's being said in a football game while the plays are going on after the play's over with. We don't get to hear or see that, so we never know what was said to, to provoke that, you know, leading up to all that. That's true. And one thing people don't realize, too, is um, I don't know if you've ever seen – on NFL when they mic the players up. And so you get to hear, like, all of the things they say out there. It's Again, it's football, you know, and they made and, and the media, to me, made such a big deal out of this one little incident. Okay, what about all the other games and all the other players that were talking smack and all the other players that were happy that they won and said something? Just to sit here, just like Trey, it's like between Justin Bieber, Richard Sherman, and Miley Cyrus and all this other crap <laughs> – you know, I'm like too. I'm I'm sore. I'm just sick of it. Just please stick to real news. I'm tired of tabloid TV. Yeah, I mean the media gets out and they jump on everything. I mean they had to have something to to have some drama leading up to the Super Bowl. But is it just me or did did it just die all of a sudden, Trey? Well, I think it died because I think some of the, I think people were frustrated with the whole angle of the stuff and. You know, one of the things that, you know, you, you can actually say ESPN does well at times is realize when they took the story the wrong direction, and I think they did, and you kind of saw that die down. Because I think people didn't want to hear that. I mean, it was garbage uh, to say, you know, somebody as smart as Richard Sherman is because they were in the heat of moment, you know, 
saying how good they are and how, you know, their opponent isn't very good. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. That's the statement. I mean, yeah, they almost made him out to be a criminal and he had done something really wrong. I mean, it, 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 to me, Tarvin, I think the ridiculousness of the slant of those media posts and, you know, the Twitter accounts and that kind of stuff, I think came through in the end. And I think that's why we stopped hearing it. Well, to me, they Tarvin. tried to make it Sonya racial, the racial issue, and and that's the funny thing about it. doesn't matter who says it. Anybody could say that same comment. But you know what Sherman did, Sonya? He told the truth. That's all he did. Crabtree's a sorry receiver. You gonna put him on me? You gonna throw something at him with the game on the line? I mean, there you go. The, and I'm, and I'm sick truth. of that. <laughs> I'm sick of that. Yeah. It's not everything is a racial issue. It's got nothing to do with race, people. The man. I mean, come on, Muhammad Ali did the same thing. Tarvin, this is Jason. <clears throat> hey. What's up, Jason? What's more fun than listening to the trash talk in the NFL? And who bigger a trash talker than Chris Carter himself? Exactly. <laughs> okay, so yeah. I don't even want to hear it, man. I actually love I love it. <laughs> oh, baby, who do you have in the Super Bowl? Oh, Denver. <laughs> Trey's got Seattle. Good answer. Trey, Trey is 3-1 to one right now, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but Trey might be right, too. I mean, it could go either way, Tarvin, but I'm kind of pulling for Peyton. Oh, yeah, man. Trey, you, Trey's got two votes. <laughs> well, uh, Tarvin, you know? I, I'm, like I'm like a rabid mongoose in a room full of cobras right now on this pick. No, you've got, Al, you've got um, El and Ari, so hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I just want to remind everybody that that Marquise Grissom will be on the show, and I, I don't know if that's him calling me now myself. Um, I'm going to have to – Trey, take over just a moment. I'll be right back. Hey, yeah, while I got uh, Sonia and you, you guys on the, on the line talking about the Super Bowl, tell me, you know, who who is your MVP? I mean, do you think it's, it's easily if Denver wins, it's Peyton? Uh, or okay. do you think this could come down to something, some, some other player? If, if, if Seattle wins, it'll be Marshawn Lynch. If Denver wins, it'll be Peyton. I have to agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys are right on. I mean, one of the things that I think is the sort of equalizer here if Seattle does win is going to be uh, Marshawn Lynch in that running game in the cold and keeping Peyton Manning off the field. Uh, so, Jason, let me ask you this. If, if we have Richard Sherman, uh, who do you put him on if you're Seattle? I mean, do you put him on Demarius Thomas, try to shut him down? Do you try to cut out Wes Walker in the slot, or, or do you worry yourself with Eric Decker? I think I think what they do is they move him around and he covers different people because really all Peyton's got to do is avoid Sherman. So I, I think that at the last game they threw at Sherman four times, five times. So it, the problem is Denver has too many weapons. Best if they moved him around yeah. and hadn't covered different people at different sets. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think I think you're right. I think one of the strengths you might want to do with Sherman is put him on the slot receiver and let your you know Pro Bowl Earl Thomas safety uh, stay over the top against you know, your weaker secondary uh, cornerback and you know play your strength on strength in that way. We'll see, I and mean, I think that could be an interesting moment. I mean, you know, Sherman and these guys are known for being very physical, which you know always equates to holding uh, down the field. Uh, and, and we'll see what the refs let them will get away with because I think if they're allowed to be more physical, uh, you could see a lot of problems with those Denver receivers. Yeah, and then sure. 
All right, guys, I appreciate that. We do have, I'm going to bring Sonia and Jason back on in just a few minutes. Marquise Grissom is with us. We want to get him on. We're going to allow some questions. Marquise, thanks for joining us. We love having you, man. How's everything going? Hey, everything good. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, we appreciate you coming. I hope I hope you didn't get caught up in this Atlanta traffic. <laughs> uh, we was fortunate. You know, my wife got caught out there a little bit, and uh, she made it off the exit ramp off the freeway, and I was able to get to her last night. I was about six or seven miles on the freeway, so. It worked out, but it wasn't so fortunate for a lot of people here in Atlanta. But I think we're pretty good today, a little bit better than yesterday. Yeah, and tomorrow hopefully is a lot better, you know, than today. So the sun comes out, the temperature goes up, we'll be looking good. But how's everything going with you, Marquise? What you been up to? Well, I, I can't complain about anything too much. Life's been good and really just taking care of my parents who – you know, 90 and 91 years old, been married six to eight years, and they're in decent health and just trying to keep them that way and raising my kids. And, you know, shortly after I retired, I started a baseball program called uh, the Marquise Grissom Baseball Program here in Atlanta, and uh, that's pretty much taking up all my time. Well, congratulations on your on your parents, and, and I do want to talk about your baseball teams and everything that you sponsor. But I have with me co-host Trey Patterson. I'm going to ask a question, and then Trey's going to come in and ask, and we'll we'll go back and forth if that's okay with you. No, that's fine. Well, well, I just want to start out, man. I just I watched you when I was in high school. I remember when you were the Atlanta Braves and you won that World Series. And, you know, we haven't gotten another one since since you left us, Marquis. So I guess when you started your career in Montreal, how how special was it to come back to Atlanta and get to play a couple of years? Oh, man, it was unbelievable, you know, to, to be able to come back here and and, and play in, in the hometown where you were born and raised and grew up and around all your family members and friends and people that really know you. That was uh, real special in my life. And I think the first year, you know, the year we won the World Series, I didn't have the best year, uh, you know, as an individual. But as a team, we won the World Series for me. Uh, that was the ultimate. And um, I think, you know, being able to sleep in my own bed and being able to see my parents was, was, was huge for me at that time because um, my parents uh, deserved to see me play a little bit more before I came to Atlanta, they didn't really get a chance to see me play. And coming back to Atlanta, uh, you know, being on one of the best teams in baseball was so gratifying to me that uh, it was hard for me to move on afterwards. But, you know, baseball is a business and you have to move on. So uh, it, it was great, really, getting that opportunity to play here in Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, and, Marky, this is Trey Patterson, uh, co-host. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I think all of us, especially those of us who are Braves fans, think fondly of your time with the Braves for, for sure. One of the things that uh, I particularly um, commend you on is you were always known as a clubhouse leader, you know, one of the guys who led by example and really sort of pulled a clubhouse together. How how, how important do you think that is uh, when you talk about, you know, nowadays we have a lot of teams that put together folks based on salary, and do you think that hurts them if they don't have a guy like you on the team who's able to unite everybody in the clubhouse? Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's just a characteristic that, you know, I, I ain't going to say I was born with it, but I think that, you know, coming from a large family, 
uh, 15 brothers and sisters. Uh, it was a lot of love, and I think I, my parents taught me that, you know, how to love and respect and take care of one another. I think that had a lot to do with it. And, um, you know, at that point, you know, when you work so hard through high school and college and you, you learn how to win and become a winner, and sometimes that kind of stick with you. And with those two uh, combined together, it kind of stuck with me on my way up through college and through the minor league and through the big league. And I think that um, we had a lot of leaders on the team here in Atlanta, uh, but they, they had different roles. I think the pitcher with John Schmoltz and uh, Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox, they kind of led by example on the field with their action. And you kind of need a position player too, um, you know, besides the catcher to really kind of keep everybody intact. And I think um, I was able to do a little bit of that. I'm not going to take credit for a whole bunch of that. I just That's just how I played the game. That's how I was brought up and raised. And uh, I just refused. Um, not to give you 100% every time I come to work every day. And I and I expect the same thing out of my teammates, and that's out of respect and love for each and every last one of them. So I don't want to – I didn't want them to cheat me, and I didn't want to cheat them when I came to, came to work every day. Okay. And, Marquise, I, I, one thing I noticed about you young in your career, you know, the, the amount of stolen bases you had. I remember looking at a couple of years, you had 91 and 92. You had 76 and 78 stolen bases. And it declined once your power went up. So, so tell me, I, I love watching stolen bases. How hard is it to steal a, steal a base in the major leagues? I know you got caught more when you were stealing more bases, but it's not just about speed, is it? So all the kids out there listening and everything trying to develop this skill of stealing bases, what would you give them? Well, I think number one, you, you hit it on the head. It's not about speed. It's all about you know wanting get wanting to get to the next base. You got to want to get to the next base, and it, and it's all about uh, reaction. It's all about getting a good lead and a good jump, and uh, you got to have the uh, base running instincts uh, most of all to be able to do that. And if you you don't have good instincts on the bases and know the tendencies of the pitcher, uh, I think that's those are the things that you have to have, and you have to do your homework on the pitcher. And, uh, again, you got to want to go to the next base. And uh, and when, once you get out there, you can't be nervous and you can't be afraid to get picked off. And also you got to learn how to get that first step. I think that's the most important thing about um, getting a good lead and getting that first step so you can be in full motion after your second or third step and getting up to top speed at the quickest. And that's what allow you to, to get to that next base. So it's a few things that it takes to – uh, to, to get that good jump on while you're on the bases, but you definitely got to have good instincts on the bases. Great answer. And Marquito, um, you know, if I, correct me if I, my memory does not serve me well on this question, but you had, if I recall, three pretty incredible moments on the field. And I just want to ask you, what was your most memorable? If I recall correctly, I think you caught the the, the last out of Dennis Martinez's perfect game. Uh, I think you caught the last ball in the World Series. I think that was Carlos Baerga. And I think you robbed a home run going, maybe it was in the playoffs against the Giants, I think, maybe, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong. But can you tell us what uh, what's your most memorable moment on the field? Trey, you're pretty good, man. <laughs> those, those, are probably, those are probably the top three. And if I had to add another one, uh, Dennis Martinez' perfect game was unbelievable. Um it may be number one, even though we won the World Series. Uh, that was awesome, too, to catch the last out. But Dennis Martinez' perfect game, I'm sitting there in center field, 
and it was almost like a, a, a artist drawing a painting because this guy went, you know, three, two, a couple of times, so many. It looked like it was, it could have been three or four times, but it looked like it was 10 or 15 times. And he went 2-2 two, two a lot. He fell behind 2-0 maybe four or five times in that game. And for him to come back and, and, and the pitches that he threw, nothing is straight with him. He doesn't have a straight fastball. So we got sinker, cutters, sliders, and curveballs throwing at, at, at all the batters. And the way he pitched that day was unbelievable. And uh, I think I made a pretty decent play before that off Mike Piazza uh, during that game to, to to keep it as a no-hitter and a perfect game. But, you know, I, for him, for me, that's number one and probably the World Series number two. And also, you know, tied with the third one, it was a great catch. But also Barry Bonds, you know, hitting 500 and then hitting 600. I was there to witness both of those. So that's right up there for me for number three. Wow, that's that's some great moments there. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I wish I had moments like that, you know, Marquis. So you have several <laughs> to choose from. So yeah, that was a great question, Trey. And and I wanted to ask you a question about, you know, you left Atlanta, you went to Cleveland, you came back, went to San Fran, L.A. How is how is your relationship with your your teammates from other teams when you play against them? Is it is it business when you go out there, or is it just still that brotherhood you have with them? For me as a player, uh, Brian, it was always that brotherhood. You know, I played on six or seven different teams, and you know, you know, the time I'm on your team, I'm gonna I'm gonna be rooting for you and pulling for you, and uh, I'm gonna be the best teammate that I can be, and I'm still gonna try to lead and guide the team. And then when I go to that other team, the guys that I played against in, uh, in, in the past or played with, they know I'm coming in there to try to whip their butt. It's like that's just how I play the game. If I'm on the other side, I'm trying to come in there and win. You know, I'm trying to come in there and win each and every game, and I and, and and I think that kind of rubbed off on some of my other players because if I expect, you know, if I'm gonna give you 100 percent, I expect you to give me 100 percent. And I also forgot about the Montreal Expo organization. When I first came up, that's how it was. You know, we were a family, and we played good, hard, fundamental baseball. And I think that's why we were so great in the 90s. And uh, it wasn't just guys like myself; it was a ton of guys in the organization at all levels, A-ball, double-A, triple-A, and the big league that understood that and played like that, and I think that was what made us so great in the 90s. And Marquis, talking about, you know, the 90s, uh, you know, you were in a lot of World Series, or I guess I would say a lot of World Series uh, around this period, and Tarvin asked about the Cleveland Indians. You won the ALCS MVP that, that year with the Indians, and I think you had um, a 15 or 16-game hitting streak in the World Series around this point, which was one of the longest, I think, in history. Can you tell us how you were able to hit and perform so well, you know, for different teams when it came down to the biggest games in, in baseball? Well, well, Trey, I, I, like, I like that pressure. I, I like for the bases to be loaded with two outs. I like the full count and uh, needing to get on base and try to steal second and steal third. I just had a knack for that pressure, and I, I wasn't so excited where I was nervous, and I, I wasn't so excited where I tried to do too much. I just let the game come to me, and um, and uh, good things will happen versus me trying to go get the game. And I, those those memories and those moments, man, you got to, as a player, you got to want those, and you got to be living for those moments. And um, 
I live for stuff like that, man, because I know the pressure's on the other guy. Everybody, everybody's not like that where they handle pressure well. And I can spot it a mile away in, in my opponent and my teammates. And uh, to be able to help your teammates or distract the, the, the opponent is something great. And I just think it's a gift uh, of growing up with playing with older people than, than myself. I never played with my regular age group growing up since I was seven. I always played uh, with nine and ten-year-olds. When I was 15, I played with adults. So I kind of had a knack for that, and I think that's what what, what stemmed that uh, for me able to go out and play so well in those critical moments. Okay. Marquise, you played for several great managers throughout your career. Could you Could you tell me, in your opinion, who was the best and the reasons why they were the best? Well, I would have to say I got two that, that stick right at the top. Uh, my two favorites, and uh, which is Bobby Cox here in Atlanta and Felipe Alou, and, and they're both at the top for two different reasons. I think here in Atlanta, I only played for Bobby two years, and, um, you know, what a, what a great manager who definitely sticks up for his players. You can tell by how many games he got ejected from <laughs> because <laughs> of the love he had for his players. But, you know, Bobby also was a man who just respected everybody on the team. And, you know, Bobby played, he managed, he was a general manager, and uh, I had a lot of respect for him, too, as a man. And, um, you know, he, he would come up to me every day, every single day and ask me how my my family was doing, which I thought was awesome. And uh, just him doing that, pretty much, uh, I was going to give him my best every time I stepped out on the field, and that was pretty much the icing on the cake that he cared so much about, not just me, but my family as well. And um, Felipe Alou was a guy who, when I first came up with the Expos, um, he, was, he was a real... Um, I want to say he was a real tough manager. Uh, you know, I kind of thought he had something against me at the beginning of my career, uh, and that's just me being young and immature. And uh, for him to really get the best out of me and push me and to for me to realize that I had speed, I had talent, that I could be a pretty good player. And, um, you know, I played for him early in my career, then some 10 years later he calls me up and, you know, told me that he was interested in bringing me to San Francisco, which I thought that was just amazing at the time that he thought that much of me 10 years later to come back and want me to be on his team and help lead and got that team to the playoffs. And, and it happened, and it worked. And uh, he's a guy that really, you know, took my game to the next level and got the best out of me as a player. And uh, I really appreciate him now that I'm out of the game and I see things totally different. And uh, I tell him every time I see him, man, I really appreciate him. And I love what he did for me and my family and my career. Yeah, great answer. And, Marquisa, you're going back sort of to, you know, the state of baseball today. Um, and, you know, I overheard a, an interview with Kenny Lawson, who I know you played in, in crisscross with, and he was very outspoken, I guess, about uh, what he thought was sort of money being taken out of the guys who played the game correctly um, pocket because of the overinflated numbers. Can you talk about, uh, what your thoughts are on where baseball is today and, and how we get back to what some of us think is, is a more pure game? Well, I think that um, the game has got a, a testing program intact now, you know, as we speak. And I think um, a couple of years ago it was in it was in place. And I really think that, um, you know, you got the guys that um, got tested years ago, such as Barry Barnes, 
um, Balmero, Roger Clemens, and all of those guys. Those guys are Hall of Fame players. You know, I don't, I don't know, you know, in the testing program, uh, at that time when the testing program was intact, those guys had put up numbers, you know, before that. And when they, now if they did that after the program was put intact, then that should be a stiff penalty. But those guys are Hall of Famers. And you go back to those are just a few guys. I just think they're Hall of Fame players. And uh, uh, I think that the, the, the testing program that we have in tech right now is proven and is showing the results of, 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 of what's going on in the game of baseball. And to get the game back to where it was, I think we're on a great path to doing that with uh, with our guys getting tested more often and more frequently, and, and we're able to move on. But there's a lot of guys back there. Uh, that really need to be uh, in the Hall of Fame and deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Okay, Marquise, this is Brian, and, and we're joined with Marquise Grissom, former Atlanta Braves world champion with us. We're excited to have you, and thanks for joining us. And, and I've always wondered, and, and maybe you can fill me in here, you know, a lot of people always wonder, what what is a, a, the day in the life of a major league baseball player? I know football's a few just a few months, Baseball is a long season, and I just want to know if you could tell us how a, what a day is like when you wake up to when you go to bed on game day and and just how do you keep getting up day after day to play a game? I mean, it's got to be wearing on your body. <laughs> yeah, well, number one, you got to love the game. Um, I tell the kids in the program all the time, you think you love baseball, you try to work your way up and get to the major leagues. And a typical day for me, Brian, was, you know, get up about 6.30 in the morning and get my workout in somewhere around from 6.30 to 7.30 and uh, maybe do a job for 30 minutes. That will take me to 8 o'clock and get me a bite to eat, 8.30 to 9. 9 o'clock, I'm back in the bed and uh, wake up about 12 and 12.30, eat again and go to the park and start that same routine over again before we start practice as a team. So I'm getting to the park about one thirty, two o'clock, go through my same routine, work out a little bit, lift weight, hit extra in the cages, and then the regular team practice normally start about 3.45, 4 o'clock, and then it's a group thing. Then to about 5.15, go on the field and do our work and take batting practice, then go inside and take a break before the game starts at 7.10. Then once the game starts at 7.10, it's on. You go out there and you play three hours, play nine innings, Give it your all, and after the game, you well, we'll work out again, lift weights, and stretch out and flush out, flush out the toxin out of my body, and then get me a bite to eat and go home. So, you know, every day for about 16 years, I did that, and uh, I think that was able, that's what allowed me to go out there and play as long as I played. And you definitely have to do four things you got to eat right, and you got to exercise, and you got to get the proper rest every night, and you got to drink plenty of water. Those four things that I still continually do today, and I try to advise all people, not just the people in my program, but all people to do that every day and try to live a healthy life. And I think um, that goes a long ways with anybody, no matter what you're doing. Well, well Marquise, why don't you tell us a, a little bit about your academy and or a lot about it if you'd like, and, and how we can follow you on Twitter and, and how people can get involved with those programs. Well, well, 
me growing up, Brian, as a uh, one of 15 kids in Red Oak, like I told you guys earlier, I played ball growing up with guys that are much older than me. And um, nowhere in the heck I, I was nearly the best player. But um, I, played, I had stiff competition growing up as a kid. And um, I was able to, you know, work my way up to high school and college and got drafted out of high school and decided to go back to go back to college instead of going into the draft. So I went to Florida and M University in Tallahassee, got drafted again, and I decided to go ahead and try to go for, you know, the major leagues. And during that time on my way up to the major leagues, I played with a whole bunch of guys and in, the, in college and in the minor league were just as good or better than I was and kind of wondered on the way up, you know, why these guys didn't make it. And, and not giving myself credit, but just still staying humble and trying to make my way up to the major league. And after I made my way to the major league, Brian, I, I wanted to go back and see how could I um, really give a kid an opportunity to not make it to the major league, but graduate from high school, uh, take advantage of that free money in college, and uh, get a scholarship to go academic in baseball. And, and 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 try to pursue the game of baseball at the next level. So, on my way up, I wanted to go back and see if I can help as many kids as possible learn the game of baseball, play the game of baseball, and, and try to make their way up. Like I said, to high school and college, not necessarily to the major leagues, and become a professional in something. And and in doing that, you got to have a good education, and you got to be a, a heck of a baseball player if you want to get to that next level. So. During my time, I founded the Marquis Grissom Baseball Association after I retired. Um, been playing baseball since the age of seven, and I was fortunate enough to make it in the major leagues. And after 17 years, I decided to bring my principles I've learned in baseball and in life back to my community here in Atlanta. And um, the mission of the Marquis Grissom Baseball Program is to support today's youth with tomorrow in mind. And... Um, to accomplish that in the program, we provide coaching, mentoring, tutoring, and scholarship assistance to ensure our students that athletes are prepared for the next chapter of their lives. And and that's pretty much my organization and what we do. And uh, it's not just baseball. Uh, we kind of provide um, tutorial services for our students and focusing on math and language arts. ACT prep, SAT prep, and no cost to our players. And uh, it's been one blessing to be able to do that. And I uh, have over 200 kids come through the program that's been on scholarships, over $2.8 million in scholarship funds that we've gotten over the last eight years since I've been doing this. So for me, it's been outstanding. It's been rewarding to see the kids graduate from high school and go to college. And we've got about six guys that's in the minor leagues that's been uh, playing in the minor leagues right now. And uh, some of those kids I had since they were 12 and 13 years old. And just to see them grow and blossom and become fine young men is what the program is all about. Well, Mark, Marquise, I mean, how many of those kids, that, and that's unbelievable. You could be coaching, managing, doing that, but you chose to give back and, and help kids that, that really don't have a fair shot, really. So how rewarding is it when you get that call, somebody say, hey, thanks, Thanks, Coach, really. Thanks for, for getting me here. I'm, I'm sure that's more rewarding than, than catching that last perfect game or winning a World Series. 
Yeah, Brian, it is, man. It's 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 the best thing going for me. Um, I had so many coaches that impacted my life that, you know, taught me, you know, how to be professional on and off the field. I really cared about my family. They cared about me getting a good education more than baseball and the guys that taught me the basic fundamentals of the game. And uh, that that was the, 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 the ticket for me growing up as a kid, these guys taking time out their busy day and busy schedule uh, to teach me the game, uh, to feed me, you know, when I didn't have funds, to pick me up, give me rides back and forth from practice and buy my baseball glove because no way in the heck where I'm from we had that kind of money to, to buy a glove and a bat, not even to pay for uniforms. So my coaches always provided those things for me growing up as a kid, and uh, I never forget that. And and those guys sincerely cared about me, not because I was a decent athlete, but they really sincerely cared about me as a as a player and um, and as a person. And I'm really just paying it forward, you know, to those guys and thanking those guys. And not only that, Brian, I got two of those guys who had me when I was seven. My first coach that came and got me, he's been coaching baseball 41 years. Uh, he's still a part of the program. I'm actually giving him an award at my uh, fourth annual gala on uh, on Saturday down at Turnerfield 755 Club. So I can't wait to see him and, and give him this Lifetime Achievement Award uh, to see the smile on his face because he, he is well-deserved. And I'm not the only kid that he had an impact uh, on their lives, but he has impacted a whole bunch of kids here in the Atlanta area. Well, Marquise, man, it's it's been honestly an honor to have you on this show, and, and I'd love to have you back on. But thanks for taking the time out of your schedule and, and joining us on this show. And it's it's a lot better than I could have ever thought. So we really appreciate you coming on. And stay safe in this weather, and we'll hopefully talk to you very soon. Yeah, Brian, I sure appreciate it, man. And, uh, Trey, good talking to you, too. I appreciate you guys for having me on, man. Anytime, just let me know. Appreciate it. Hey, Mar- hey Marquise, 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 hold yes, on sir. just a second, sir. I forgot somebody almost. Sonia is on the line, and she wants to say hello to you. So, Sonia, he's all yours. <laughs> Mr. Marquise Grissom. Miss Sonia Coven. Don't know your name. <laughs> I heard you married, though. <laughs> How you hey, doing? Me. <laughs> How you doing? How are you? Bro, I'm, I'm telling wonderful. you. I'm Let me tell wonderful. you. <laughs> Go ahead. What were you saying? I said, I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? I am doing awesomely, awesomely wonderful. But I got to say something because I know you won't say it, so I wanted to make sure I said it before you hung up this phone. When yes, when everybody's talking about Marquise and, and what a great guy he is and, and how he gives back, what people don't know that we know is this is the same Marquise Grissom. <laughs> Now that we knew at Lakeshore High School, Marquise has always been this this way. And the thing is, too, you played. Let's okay. Let me name them all. Was it basketball, football, baseball, track? Wasn't there something else? <laughs> Sorry, that's it. You can, you can only play three three sports in high school. But I played four. You're right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> forget that. And then also. Another thing as far as taking care of family and taking care and giving back to the community, especially, you know, in that area, Red Oak, people don't know this man purchased a house for every one of his siblings, his mom. He comes back. He supports the College Park community. He supports everything down there. So I wanted to make sure that everyone knew this is not an act, okay? (laughs) When when you see Marquise, he is not putting on a front 
or this is a personality that he just has for the camera. This is who he is. The entire family is like this. And also, I want to give a shout-out to Mr. Bear Grissom, Mr. Antonio. I talked to him, and um, yep. I don't know if he played too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sonia, I really appreciate that. And um, it's, it's, it's just a blessing that we got together, and I really appreciate you contacting Antonio. Antonio, my brother, is the cornerstone of this organization that I have because we grew up playing together. You know, that's how I really learned to play the game. We've been playing since we were little kids, and and uh, he, you know, he's been to some areas in baseball where I have never been. He scouted for 15 years. He coached high school. He coached college. He coached in the minor leagues. So he has a lot of experience in baseball. He was one heck of a player, too, made it high as triple-A with the Philadelphia Phillies. And uh, we have a lot of experience over here. And we just trying to give off all the experience that we learned as kids growing up and in, and in baseball so we can grow as people. You know, i got to share those experiences with people and tell people about my experiences so I can grow as a person and and see these kids blossom and grow because Sonny would tell you, in our neighborhood, it was 12, 13 kids in every family. And, oh, yeah. Uh, it was a lot of love growing up. So yeah, I done lived a wonderful life and been around some wonderful people, and I've been blessed to be able to do pretty much whatever I want to do in life, and this is something I was called to do. So it's automatic for me. To, to be doing what I'm doing. Well, I'm going to tell you, bro, we are so proud of you. We love you so much. And I wanted to ask you, too, when you were talking about those coaches, was um, <clears throat> Rusty Hudson on that list? <laughs> yeah, Rusty Hudson is on that list. Actually, there we go. We're doing, we're doing something for Rusty Hudson uh, for the city of College Park here at Westlake High School. So they combine Westlake and Lakeshore, our old school. Right. And so we're getting up a committee now to give him – an award over at Westlake and hopefully put it in the Westlake High School. So we're working on that now with the city of College Park. Dude, you've got to you've got to make sure you keep me posted on that one because that Coach Hudson is the man that taught me free throws and because yeah. of him I can outshoot any man when it comes to free throws. <laughs> I love me some Coach Hudson and I know he was very, very instrumental in in um you know, your development in high school and seeing everything that you guys, not only you and Antonio, but it's like the the gene runs through the Grissom family. And you guys yep. all look alike. You always knew a Grissom from a, from anybody else. <laughs> well, so it's, it was so many of us, Sonia. That's why. And, and you're right about Coach. Coach Hudson is, is the coach of the decade. He's the best high school coach ever. And he's he up is. at West, West Minnesota. He's the athletic director there and uh we actually been in contact the last couple of months, so I'm looking forward to getting back with him and see if I can help him in any way. But uh, we have a lot of great people around here, and uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. Well, anything that we can do, you know, hey, we'll we'll be in touch. I got your number. I'm going to, you know, shoot you some emails and stuff. <laughs> okay. But I just wanted to thank you for coming on. Thank you for everything that you're doing for our community and, and just giving back and for staying so grounded. You are the perfect example when we talk to these kids who, you know, who do have talent and they get into, you know, the big head and all of that. But to have somebody like you who's had a, a nice long career and has been able to just maintain and not be involved in any, any sort of scandal is awesome. And to have that person be an LHS Lancer for life, <laughs> awesome. Yep. I really, so I love really you, babe. That. Yep, love you too. Send me that email so we can stay in touch and uh, 
I look forward to talking to you. And Tell said I said hello, and everybody that, you know, I said hello, and I look forward to talking to you guys soon. All right, love. Take care. All right, you too. All right. So thank you, Marquis. Thanks, Sonia. And Trey, I mean, do you think it's possible that Marquis could take me under his wing, get me in this camp, and maybe I can make a run back at the major league? What do you think? <laughs> Are you trying to be the rookie? Yeah, I mean, I'm 37. Of, uh, I'm, I'm in my prime, man. I'm in my prime. Uh, they'd have to call you meat, buddy, because I've, I've seen you throw, I've seen you throw <laughs> around, man. Well, I, I just wish that back back when I was a kid that, you know, I'm from a large family as well. He's 15, I'm 7, so, you know, he's a lot larger family, but it's still the same thing. When I was a kid growing up, you know, my parents worked. They couldn't, we didn't have a lot of money at all. Like he's talking about the gloves and the equipment and all of that. I mean, I was in that same boat and you know, with six older brothers and sisters, my brothers were a lot older than me, so they were already out of the house, moved on, family, job, and things. So it would have been great to have someone at that age work with me and, and you know, teach me the game. And, man, that's a great thing Marquise is doing. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's one of those things that I think uh, because he was a brave that, you know, I followed him so closely as a career, but you don't realize, I mean, you know, two-time All-Star, you know, four-time, you know, Gold Glover, 17 seasons. I mean, you heard just some of his accomplishments. He was a, a great player, coached, uh, you know, for the Nationals as well. I mean, he's a guy who can bestow a lot of knowledge about the game, the way you play it, the way you play it correctly. Um, so it's, it's good that a guy like that is still involved with the game because, you know, those guys are the guys baseball needs at the ground floor you know, keeping that game going for all of us all of us fans to watch it and watch the new players come up. Well, I will compare averages with, with Marquise. You know, looking at he batted three oh eight in nineteen ninety six. Well Trey back in Am South in the day I batted about seven hundred. So so who's on top now? <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, you know, that slow pitch softball league, uh <laughs> pretty impressive, buddy. <laughs> I wanted to ask him you know, I wanted to ask him, and I didn't. We ran out of time. But who was that pitcher that that he hated to, to play against? You know, every hitter has that pitcher that they can't hit or, or you know, didn't want to hit. And I, I was going to ask him, who do you think it would be, Trey, if you were guessing right now, talking about Marquis, who would that pitcher be? Yeah, he spent so many times in both leagues. I mean, you know, bouncing around, it would be hard. Probably, yeah. I would say it's somebody more national, you know, given the fact that you spent more time in the National League. So I'd say, uh, Randy, you know, Randy Johnson, or maybe even, you know, maybe even Maddox. You never know. And I was wanting to ask him as well, how many cuss words a game did Bobby Cox say? Because every time it, it flipped the camera on Bobby, he, he was sitting on the, he was up there against the dugout, looking like he was going to come out saying some cuss words to the home plate umpire, but. Bobby Cox is one of the greatest managers, and to hear him say that, I mean, it, it means a lot. People need to listen to what Marquise Grissom is saying, a class act individual, a family man, a team man. For him to say that about Bobby Cox just, just puts a nail in the coffin tray. Yeah, I mean, just a great pre, sort of a get, to get us on the road towards baseball coming up. That's a great interview. Thanks, Sonia, for, for you know, hooking us up with Marquise and, uh, just a great you know, sort of thought process now. I'm starting to think about baseball, starting to get ready for spring training, Tarvin. Just a great interview to fire me up for baseball season.
So just to remind people, you're right, in the next eight minutes, 945 Eastern, J.C. Sherbert, uh, the national recruiter for CBS 247 will be with us. And, J.C., when you get in the studio, please press number one, and we'll know you're there. We have a lot of calls tonight in the studio, a lot of people listening to Marquee tonight. Now we're going to shift gears and get into football. It's kind of hard to shift gears with with a, an interview like that, that was probably one of my favorite interviews, Trey. I mean, it, it was awesome. Marquis hit a home run tonight, and looking at his career, he keeps going. But but one thing I want to say about Marquis, Trey, is he could be in the major leagues now, coaching, managing, doing whatever, but he chose to come back home, and he chose to stay with his family, be around his mom and dad, which congratulations, 60-plus years of marriage, to give back to kids. I mean, I just can't. I just can't get over that. That's that's just amazing. He could be doing anything he wanted to now, and this is what he wants to do the most: give back to the less fortunate kids. That's just that's honorable. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, this guy coached first base for the uh, the Washington Nationals. It's not like, uh, and it's even saw him in the chat room saying he still gets offers. It's not like a guy with the experience, the defensive capabilities, the fact that he was so clutch in the World Series and the playoffs. I mean, there's a skill set that, that a lot of guys don't have. I mean, you know, I think he downplayed it, Tarvin, but you, you talk about some of the you know, MVPs of the league, uh, you know, A-Rod and Braun, and you may say that's for other reasons, but you know, there's been some guys who are supposedly the greatest players in the game who can't hit in the postseason. And, you know, uh, you know Marcus Grissom was never one of those guys. He, was, I mean, he seemed to thrive on those situations, and that's something that you want in a coaching staff. You want in a coach to be able to you know, teach these guys, even at the pro level, you know, how to handle that pressure because it never seemed to bother him. Well, there's a confidence and a swag that comes with being in a large, from a large family tree. And I think being, like he said, he's playing with people four or five years older than him his entire life, learning, playing against better competition, better competition, older kids. You know how different it is playing against older kids at that age than your own age. I think doing all of that, I mean, Marquis developed that. I mean, you're you're not born with it, like he said. He didn't know, but you develop it. And when he gets in front of a pressure situation, hell, his whole life has been pressure. To get up in front of these people and hit a baseball, that's just what he does and what he loves. But a great interview. And Sonia mentioned thanks for, for getting him on the show. We're going to get his brother on as well soon, Trey, and I can't wait to hear from him as well. Yeah, I mean, it gives a totally different perspective. Excuse me, perspective. And his brother was the, uh, you know, the behind the scenes, or, you know, looking at the, you know, looking at these guys coming up, having to be a talent evaluator. In baseball, it's such a, an important role and aspect uh, because the minor leagues, you know, it, you draft these kids and you're hoping they develop, and it takes, you know, these guys looking at them years years in advance before they ever make the big league. So uh, it's a totally different aspect of baseball that some other leagues don't exactly have. So it'd be interesting to hear that perspective as well. And before we move on, Sonia said something in her interview talking to Marquise about free throws. She could beat anybody. So I challenge Sonia Minson right now, Trey, on air to a free throw contest. And, and the way we're going to do it, 100 shots. We get 100. We'll do 10 at a time. And then we'll we'll make it we'll, – we'll give our final percentages. Trey, who do you have in this competition, me or Sonia? You know, given her contacts, with uh, you know Major League Baseball players, you know Coach Lett, I'm just saying, I mean, buddy, she seems to have uh, a possible skill set that maybe you don't have. I, I'm going to hey. Sonia. I'm, I'm taking I'm taking the odds. 
You have never seen me. You didn't play ball with me. Now, I'm a 93 out of 100 shooter. That's what I was back in high school. So 93% now. Sonia, if you can beat 93%, I might have went down to 88. You know, age does that to a man, Trey. But 88%, I'm saying I'll hit in a, out of 100. What do you think? Sonia said uh, 98. There you go, buddy. Oh, I'm my God. I'm taking the Minton. I'm, I'm taking Minton all the way, buddy. All right, Sonia. Meet me at LA Fitness. We'll we'll schedule a time. We're gonna go. I'll bring the ball. Don't try to bring one of those crazy balls down. I'll I'll furnish <laughs> I'll furnish the ball. It has it has knots in it, but that's what I'm used to. So we'll, we're gonna get Sonia. Hold on. She wants to come back on real quick. Sonia, you gonna <laughs> hold that challenge? Are you gonna accept? Are you gonna accept this challenge? I'll accept that challenge, but hold on. <laughs> You know, before you start issuing challenges, <laughs> if if um, if you were here back during the Olympics, because I actually work men and women's basketball for the Olympics, I was the uh, assistant venue coordinator. But anyway, at Dave and Buster's, they used to have the, the regulation free throws there, and they would put your picture up for the person that shot the most consecutive free throws. So number eight <laughs> happened to be Scottie Pippen. And he did it when he was here for the Olympics. So when the Olympics were over, we went, had a great night. I beat his record, dude. I was number seven on the Dave & Buster's list, and I was the only female in the top 20. So I'm just letting you know. I'm not playing. All right. <laughs> I ain't playing either. We'll have Jason. He'll be the uh, the referee. He'll count. You know, he'll be the scorekeeper. And I don't want him to cheat now. I don't want <laughs> he him won't to cheat. <laughs> I just wanted to I just want to say thanks again for getting Marquise on and coming on and talking to him. It was a great interview. We really enjoyed it. And uh, we're going to have to shift gears now to recruiting and college football. But thanks again, Sonia. We really appreciate you. Uh, no problem. Thank you, guys. Really, really appreciate it. Great interview, great questions. And uh, we're working on some more surprises, so we'll see who else we can get on. All right. Thank you, Sonia. We really appreciate you. And, and, Trey, I will be sending a letter in the mail to Sonia. You'll get a copy of it, uh, the challenge, the date, the time. And J.C. will be on momentarily, waiting on him to call in. Trey, college signing day is next Wednesday. Can you believe it? Well, Tarvin, I mean, it's, it's – yeah, I can't. I mean, you know, those of us who keep up with it, you know, understand how important this is for your teams and – this year is going to be, I think, just as crazy as we've seen other national signing days. You see a lot of guys are still out there. Um, you know, you talk about, um, you know, sometimes that, the winning. I mean, Alabama looks like they may win another you know, recruiting title. So as much as you think or may want to think that last year uh, may have been, you know, Bama's on the downward, downward slope, well, here they come with, you know, maybe another number one recruiting class. So these, these kind of things are, are always interesting, and you see these guys um, – end up playing big big time roles in their college teams if, if they develop well. So uh it's it's time, Tarvin. It's time for these guys to sign and, and figure out, you know, which team wins the national recruiting title again. It looks like it could be Alabama. Yeah, it will be. I mean they're adding five star after five star Trey. It's it's just the rich getting richer. I thought they could maybe slide a little bit, but I mean they're just getting stronger and stronger. They have three of the top ten players in the country, man. I mean that's that's saying something. Looking at 247, they have Cameron Robinson, Deshaun Hand, 
and Tony Brown. They just got Humphrey, uh, Bobby Humphrey, son, if you remember him, a five-star corner. So, I mean, it's just – I don't know if it's ever going to slow down for them. It doesn't look like it. But, Trey, as soon as J.C. comes in, we have a 225 area code in the studio right now. I'm not familiar with that number. If You said J.C.'s calling from a different area code than that. So, when J.C. comes in, if he'll just press one, we'll get him on the show, Trey. But seven days away – is it is it just me, or is it just not very dramatic in recruiting right now? Or are you still seeing some names out there you're questioning? Yeah, I, I think you could see a lot of intrigue come National Sign Day. I, th- I think you're going to see a lot of flips, and, and maybe maybe J.C. agrees with me, maybe he doesn't. But it seems like, especially some of the teams that are right below, um, you know, Alabama are still waiting on recruits. Florida State could have some guys flip, and then their defensive line, uh, class is pretty impressive. You know, Alabama who's got a, a great secondary class coming, you know, developing. Uh, and I think there's some guys in this class too, Tarvin. You, you'll see actually playing as, as true freshmen and maybe making a big impact. Uh, and, you know, Texas A&M, their class looks impressive as well. So I, I think there's a lot of reason to keep watching towards National Signing Day. There's a lot of guys you could be flipping, and there's some guys still out there. All right. Well, J.C. is with us. J.C. Sherbert from 247. I'm going to bring him on now. JC, thanks for joining us. How are you, sir? Hey, it's great to be with you guys this evening. Well, thanks for joining us. And I was—I remember I was just thinking about I listened to the last interview you came on signing day last and, and talked to us and everything. So, so how dramatic are we? Are we are we in for a dramatic signing day, or is this going to be a non-event? I think uh, this year we should have more more drama than last year. Um, you know, last year kind of seemed a little uneventful. I think we sort of had a good idea down to one or two schools of, you know, where these kids were going. And, and you know, outside of Ole Miss, you know, there wasn't a huge national storyline. Ole Miss was probably the the biggest surprise, and, and Laramie Tunzel was the biggest surprise in their class. And he, we sort of knew about that two or three days beforehand. So, you know, I think this year you've got a lot of, of interesting situations out there. Um, the California players uh, that are uncommitted, Dory Jackson, John Smith, Micaiah Quick, and Damian Mama, you know, all four of those guys are big-time guys on the West Coast, probably arguably four of the top five out there. And uh, they're all undecided, and it's, it's not known. You know, I think USC feels pretty good about three of them. Um, a fourth one's probably Notre Dame and Oklahoma. Uh, and that's quick, um, you know, and, and there's not a, a great beat on, on where these guys will go. You talk to people and they'll say, well, you know, we feel pretty good, but, and we feel pretty good, but, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I think that there's a chance for Florida State, UCLA both, uh, to have huge finishes. You know, UCLA's in on a lot of guys from across the country, especially in the South. Um, they've done a good job getting guys to go out there and officially visit and, uh, you know, they're both in it for Malachi Dupree out of Louisiana. Uh, I think a lot of people think he's going to LSU. Um, I think that as well, but I, uh, I'm not as confident as I once was in my prediction. Um, you know, UCLA feels good about him. He had a great visit to Florida State, and Alabama's in the mix. So, you know, there's a guy. You know, you have a classic Iron Bowl battle uh, in the state of Alabama between Rashawn Evans. I mean, I'm sorry, between Alabama and Auburn for Rashawn Evans. Uh, the nation's number one outside linebacker, according to 24-7 Sports. And, you know, Auburn should get him. Uh, he's an Auburn high school kid. 
his parents went to Auburn, uh, but Alabama's given him a pretty good bit to think about. So I think, uh, you know, this signing day, there, there's probably more of an element of the unknown uh, leading up to the uh, to the big decision. So I think um, I think we're in for it. Good, and, and I think also, guys, one thing that, that's been interesting about this recruiting cycle is the calendar. It was kind of weird, you know, with the extended dead period. Uh, coaches really didn't get back on the road till the third week of January. It's usually the second week. You know, there were some new staffs that were sort of late in getting assembled at Penn State, Texas. Um, you know, so those guys are kind of, you know, trying to fill out needs and, and fill their class. And, you know, that's always interesting as well because new names pop up and, uh, you know, you have guys flipping and things like that. So it's it's going to be a pretty eventful week uh, between now and next Wednesday. And JC, you mentioned uh, a lot of guys who are still undecided. What can you tell us about Malachi Dupree, uh, the kid at New Orleans, and then Lorenzo Carter, uh, the defensive end? Uh, a lot of these are these guys still between a couple more than two schools, I guess. Or what's what's their yeah. recruiting looking like? Dupree's really the interesting one, you know, because I think after LSU lost Speedy Noel and Gerald Willis uh, during the Under Armour game to, to Florida and Texas A&M. Uh, but then got Leonard Fournette. Um, you know, I think the feeling was, well, they're not going to strike out, you know, totally losing everybody from New Orleans uh, among the big-time guy, five-star guys, except for Fournette. You know, they're going to end up getting somebody. And so I think that the, the the feeling was that, well, they'll get Malachi Dupree. Um, and I, I think that, you know, it's certainly a possibility. And, and I still would predict LSU to land him, but, you know, the feedback he's been giving other staffs has been quite interesting. I mean, you know, there's a lot of confidence at UCLA that Malachi Dupree will be a brewer. Um, you know, there's confidence at Alabama that they're right there in the thick of things for it. Uh, you know, there's confidence at Florida State coming off a of BCS national title. They had Jameis Winston hosted on his visit uh, that they're going to get him. And so, you know, when you have that many schools feeling like, hey, we're right there in this thing, uh, what happens behind the scenes is they all feel like they have to beat LSU. And so it's basically four against one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that can change things uh, in a recruitment. That can change things. And, of course, uh, there at John Curtis High School, uh, if he did bolt for UCLA, it would be the second big-time guy out of John Curtis to, to spurn LSU and head to Los Angeles because we all remember in 07, Joe McKnight uh, ended up going to USC. Uh, over LSU right there on signing day. So it's um, it's an interesting one. Lorenzo Carter is a little less interesting. I think, you know, he's kind of just waiting around, biding his time. I think he ends up at Georgia uh, for sure. I think uh, Jeremy Pruitt coming in and recruiting him, the relationship he has with Mark Rick and, and that entire Bulldog staff, you know, I think this is one that Georgia will not let get away, um, you know, and I think they've been the team to beat. Uh, for probably a good month now. You know, Florida uh, had some momentum with him early on. Alabama did. But I, I think Carter, you know, feels like he's he's got a good scheme fit there. Georgia needs pass rushers. Uh, you know, I think it's just a, a, a good situation all around. And, you know, you never know. But I think uh, I'd be surprised there if that one didn't go the Bulldogs' way. Excuse me, JC. This is Brian. Um, Auburn, with a surprising 12 and 2 season, they're at number seven right now in your rankings. 
can you can you give me your guess of how they're going to end this class? I mean, is Gus going to be able to put a strong finish and, and get a top five ranking, come up from that number seven? Yeah, I think so. And I was I was running the numbers today. On 24-7 Sports, we have this thing called Class Calculator where you can punch in potential commitments and kind of see numerically where the class will, will land. And, and, you know, you, I say maybe they'll finish number five, number four, or whatever, but it, sometimes that depends on other schools and, you know, who they get or don't get or lose. Uh, but I, I think if you're an Auburn fan, you know, you look at Rashawn Evans, obviously the big number one outside linebacker in the country from your backyard, uh, you know, great fit uh, for the scheme there in, in Ellis Johnson's defense. Um, parents went to Auburn, you know, there's – there's every reason in the world for him to stay and go to Auburn. Alabama's pushing hard, so it's going to be, you know, one of the two in-state schools. Uh, but you add him in, uh, you know, a guy like Braden Smith, the offensive lineman out of Kansas, who they're, they're sort of battling TCU and to a lesser extent Texas A&M for, uh, you know, yet again, another guy that an offensive guard, you know, if he goes to Auburn, he's the, the perfect guard to get in there and, and run blocking that system and, you know, shoot, I think if he, if he went to Auburn, he'd be an All-American just because of scheme fit. And, you know, it, it's hard to see an offensive guard putting up highlights, but I think this guy could put up some highlights uh, in that system. Um, you know, and then there's some other guys that, that Auburn's in on your Treon Harris, the Florida State commit. They're trying to flip him and, you know, about five or six other guys. So if things go Auburn's way with the two the two big-timers, you know, even just Evans, this class will approach the top five. Now, I wouldn't pay as much attention to the ranking if I were an Auburn fan, though, because what they did, you know, they inherited a roster that obviously had some talented players on it, but if you watch Auburn play, uh, you know, it, it was flawed to a certain extent, and they could use help in some areas, especially on defense, and they went out and signed probably the best JUCO class in the country, got some help on defensive line uh, to come in and kind of back up the talented young players they already have there. Um, you know, you got to help at safety. DeQuell Williams is the number one junior college player in the country. He's, you know, probably better than Cordell Patterson coming out of JUCO, who had a pretty good one year at Tennessee and then went to the NFL. DeQuell, uh, you know, looking at him on film, he's one of the most polished receivers that you, you'll see. Um, and he's 6'4", 205 pounds. So you, you think about having that kind of – I guess freak out there playing receiver, you know, and then combine that with how Auburn runs the football, that's going to be tough to stop the, the, the Gus bus next year, <laughs> as if it wasn't hard enough already to stop them this year. So, you know, as far as instant impact goes, regardless if this class at Auburn finishes, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, fifth, fourth, wherever, I mean, it's a class that's going to impact the Tigers on the field next year. There's certainly no stranger to having uh, excellent junior college players come in and make an immediate impact. And, you know, I think there's several of them uh, in this class uh, for this cycle that could do that. Okay. J.C., uh, again, this is uh, Trey Patterson. We're with J.C. Sherbert, the National Recruiting Director for 24-7 Sports. J.C., you talked about Trayon Harris. You mentioned his name. He's a kid who uh, it seems like every or every um, – official visit that he went on, uh, a lot of buzz on Twitter about how, you know, he's now going to flip to that other school, that's Florida or Auburn, and, you know, and a lot of confidence, it seems, in all the schools. Where do you see him landing, and do you see him being a quarterback at, at the next level here in college? Well, 
I, I think, you know, it's a scheme fit thing for him, too. I think Florida, at Florida State, he's not a quarterback. He's a guy that's going to be a, you know, a free safety and a good one. You know, he his brother uh, was corner, is a corner in the NFL, and his dad's Ice Harris, the head coach down at Booker T. Washington. Uh, I do think his heart is at court quarterback. Um, and, of course, at Auburn, you know, that he's a perfect fit uh, for what they do. Uh, at Florida, they're trying to sell him on quarterback. They need quarterbacks first and foremost. And, and second, uh, you know, Kurt Roper coming down from Duke, you know, he can do some things with a dual-threat guy uh, that has a good arm like Treon Harris. They have Thaddeus Lewis up there. Um, you know, the kid this year they had, uh, I think he's 5'9". <laughs> and uh, you saw what he did at Texas A&M on New Year's Eve. So, you know, they, they've they got some precedent to kind of sell there with Hatreon. You know, guys with your skill set can thrive in our system. And, and, you know, quite frankly, you know, Florida probably needs something on offense. They don't, you know, they don't have a lot. Of, it, it's very un-Florida, the roster right now. And when that program's been great, they've had great playmakers on, on the offensive side of the ball uh, under Meyer and Spurrier before him. And when they haven't, you know, they haven't been super duper. You know, the Gators have been sort of above average to average. So so they need an explosive offense. They don't have a lot of players. And having a quarterback that can make the magic happen with his arm and his feet uh, has to be intriguing. Uh, you know, most of the feedback I've gotten, uh, I think it's hard to decommit from the, from the BCS National Champions uh, when Florida State does have some guys from Miami coming up there. Um, like Dalvin Cook, I think it's hard, you know, to back out of that kind of pledge if you're Treon. Uh, but it, to me, it's a 50-50 kind of thing, you know, and it just depends on how strong that pull uh, to play quarterback is. And uh, we'll see, you know, when he makes his ultimate decision, you know, where it's at. The, the thing, too, to keep in mind is even if he's, you know, wanting to play quarterback and that's where his heart's at at the next level in college, he probably doesn't project there in the NFL. And, you know, his dad being a successful high school coach and the father of an NFL corner, uh, you know, th- those guys are going to make an informed decision, you know, with what's best for his future long-term past college too. So, you know, even though the feelings may be there for quarterback, you know, he may feel like it's best to be a DB and uh, try to get to the league. Great answer. J.C., the move Charlie Strong to Texas. I thought it was a, a, going to impact recruiting more. And, and when I look at Texas' recruiting class, I'm not seeing a major impact. And, and I just want to know your thoughts, and maybe it was because it, it happened so late in the process. Well, I think to recruit well in the state of Texas, you have to you have to be there for a while and have relationships. It's, it's a very different type of state um, to go and land guys. Uh, you know, and then you see Charlie out there on the recruiting trail meeting high school coaches laying the groundwork, and I think he'll get there quickly, he and his staff. But, you know, you look at how that staff came together, you know, there's one guy, Bruce Chambers, they held over from Mac's staff. Uh, he brought a lot of guys in from Louisville, from the SEC. Um, you know, they're probably hitting the ground running a, a little bit and trying to keep some guys committed that other schools are coming after. You know, Missouri's coming after Armani Foreman. Um, you know, just to try to keep it intact because, you know, Charlie Strong inherited a top 15 class from Mac Brown. Um, so you have to feel like that if, if you're out there laying groundwork or trying to make inroads, 
you know, there's not that pressure there to go, you know, like Derek, poor Derek Mason at Vanderbilt. <laughs> you know, he's probably, he and his staff probably pouring through tape right now trying to figure out how to fill out this class. But, you know, Charlie inherited a pretty good situation at Texas. And, you know, for the for the Longhorns to get back long term, you know, he he's going to have to go out and meet some people and, and kiss some babies and things like that. You know, sort of like Matt Brown did. Matt Brown was a master at that. I mean, he was beloved by high school coaches in that state. Um, and Charlie's going to have to do that because in Texas, you know, the gatekeepers are the high school coaches. And if you don't, you know, go out there and, and make friends, uh, it can be a tough, tough situation for you. Um, and, and I think Charlie Strong will do that. And I think uh, starting with the 2015 class, it's going to be a lot of interesting battles uh, for top talent in Texas between you know, Texas A&M and Texas uh, as they both uh, try to continue to raise their roster level. And, J.C.D., this is Trey again. Um, you know, going back to, to Florida State, uh, the national champions, uh, they had a three-star wide receiver decommit this week. Uh, and some of the, the rumor mill around Florida State is, is because they're about to land a couple of five-star receivers what can you tell us about that? And also, can you talk about, uh, I guess, the defensive uh, line commitments at Florida State and whether you see them losing any of those guys because of the Pruitt loss? Well, I don't think it'll be because of the Pruitt loss. To answer your second question first, you know, Dexter Weidman is a player from Saluda, South Carolina, that, you know, a lot of people had penciled in for the Gamecock. Saluda's a Gamecock town. Um, it's a little small, tiny place up near Lake Greenwood towards the upstate of South Carolina, about 45 minutes from Columbia. And he surprisingly, you know, committed to Florida State. Jay Graham, uh, who used to be at South Carolina, who actually recruited Marcus Lattimore for the Gamecocks. Uh, that's his territory for FSU, and he came up and and landed him. Um, since that point, South Carolina's been working him pretty hard. They have a lot of top in-state guys committed. Uh, they feel good about their position and flipping him back. Uh, I don't know that it, have any, it would have anything to do with the Pruitt situation. You know, I think uh, that would be more of a kid just wanting to stay close to home. Uh, you know, he's got some work to do to qualify anyway. So, you know, Florida State may just say, hey, best of luck to you if he indeed decides to do that. But, you know, as of right now, he's visiting FSU this weekend and they could maybe solidify his commitment. Um I think that uh, when you look at it from that standpoint, uh, you know, the, it, there just really hasn't been that much attrition uh, because of the Pruitt loss. I think in a, in a, in a normal year, maybe a 9-3 and three year or something like that there would be, but you know, coming off the BCS National Championship, you know, it's hard. Like I said, it's hard to decommit from, from that kind of success. You know, as far as receivers go, uh, yeah, they've kind of they've lost a couple to Florida. I don't think they're going to miss those guys. Um, Malachi Dupree, uh, as we talked about earlier, uh, Florida State's definitely in the in the thick of things for him. Uh, you know, J.C. Jackson from Immokalee, Florida, uh, is probably a corner, uh, but maybe a receiver. He's a great football player. Um, you know, he's in the mix uh, to potentially end up at Florida State. And then a guy that that I think's a kind of a done deal, a, a former Florida commit, five star receiver, Ermin Lane from Homestead. Uh, you know, I think Florida State feels excellent uh, about landing him. Uh, you know, the words done deal, or, or if somebody says that in recruiting, they're probably lying. But I've heard the word, <laughs> I've heard a lot of liars out there calling it a done deal. So, 
you know, at the very least, I think FSU ends up with Irvine Lane. Um, you know, six four guy, two hundred and five pounds. You know, very quick feet, athletic. You know, one of the top receivers in the country. Uh, at the very least, they end up with him. But you know, they probably, you know, stand the you know fifty sixty percent chance of, of getting Jackson and Malachi Dupree, and having you know what for all intents and purposes is the best would be the best receiver class in the country. Uh, James Franklin, the move from Vanderbilt to Penn State, I just wanted your opinion on how he's going to fare going up against Urban Meyer in the Big Ten, and should Urban be concerned? Well, uh, you know, I I think if you're Urban Meyer, you know, you should be concerned, but you did go and take the best recruiter in the history of Penn State football (laughs) in Larry (laughs) Johnson. So, uh, you know, if if you're Ohio State, you know, Ohio, and those of us in the South, I think, you know, sometimes undervalue that state as far as, as um, you know, a talent producer. But you look at the numbers in the NFL, and Ohio is a top five talent producing state. Ohio State is the only, you know, automatic qualifying FBS level program in that state. Right there in the state capital, it's beloved. The Buckeyes are beloved. You know, and Urban Meyer's a great recruiter. And so 90%, you know, of the top-shelf guys in Ohio, if they get a chance to go to Ohio State, they're going. So you already got a talent. You already got a base there. Well, then they go out nationally. They're good in the South. You know, they they, they come from behind against Southern teams in the South and, and win recruiting battles. Uh, so you get four or five guys from there. And, and where you're going to have to worry about Penn State, if you're Ohio State, is – you know some of those guys that you can go get from New York, New Jersey, Maryland, DC, um, especially Maryland and DC, because that's a that's an area that's ripe with talent for 2015 and 2016. Um, you, you're concerned with a strong Penn State at that point. Well, going and getting Larry Johnson, <laughs> who has a, a long track record of recruiting top guys in Maryland and DC. Uh, was smart because that that gives Ohio State an in with just about any kid in that region. And, you know, Penn State has made a living in Maryland, um, a living in New Jersey. You know, they've really built a program by, you know, cornering the talent right there, you know, in a square, you know, if you drew a circle around their campus. Um, you know, so it, it that gives – that's a challenge, you know, for James Franklin. Now, do I think – the future of Penn State football is going to be bright. Yes, I think what they needed, you know, Bill O'Brien was very good for Penn State because he was able to go out and and sell to a certain level of prospect, get a great quarterback, Christian Hackenberg, evaluate very, very well. You know, some of those walk-on guys are, are really good. Um, and then coach them up on game day. I mean, Bill O'Brien is such a good coach, people don't even realize. I mean, he was probably – destined to go back to the NFL just because he's a great coach. You know, he, he's a Jim Harbaugh-level football coach. And, you know, so he was able to kind of coach his way out of it. James Franklin is a more of a dynamic leader of men type of guy, a rah-rah guy. Um, you know, good X's and O's guys, good smart coaches, good coordinators, and certainly was no slouch on game day at Vanderbilt. But where his strength is is getting everybody to buy in to a belief and a purpose. And if you're Penn State and you're coming out now on the other side of this probationary period, the other side uh, of the tragedy that happened, 
you know, this is the type of guy you need. Uh, you know, you need a guy to go out and sell the future and, and sell the program and get people fired up. And that's exactly what James Franklin's going to do. So, uh, you know, which side needs to be more concerned, Ohio State or Penn State? Well, it's probably, you know, Penn State's going to have to take some lumps, you know, here in the next couple of years. Uh, you know, that's a very tough division. Uh, and their roster isn't back yet. But, uh, you know, I think if you're Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, any of those other teams in that division, you know, down the road, you know, Penn State's going to be back. And they're going to be back quicker than most people think. And they're going to have a lot of good football players and a dynamic guy leading it that, you know, is from there, knows the area, loves the school, and for all intents and purposes is a great fit. So I, I think I'm excited to see how the Big Ten – East, I guess is what it is, is going to play out. Because I, I think it's going to give the SEC West a run for its money as the toughest division in football. College wow. football. That's big words. College That's football. College, words, football. College football. College <laughs> <laughs> football. I, I can just hear some Steelers fan, you know, killing me. Both of them. Yeah, see North. Hey, well, JV, that is a, a bold prediction, I think, uh, let me ask you this. You wrote an article recently on 24-7 about the top five players out of this class who may make an impact immediately. Can you tell us a little bit about that without me sort of giving it away, the five players? I'll let you do that. Yeah, it was, I guess, the top five players. Actually, it was Kip Adams, who's our, one of our recruiting insiders, uh, that rolled that out for us. You know, Jalen Tabor, uh, who's going to Florida. Uh, you know, Florida has Brian Poole at one of the cornerback positions. He's more of a nickel. I think they actually moved him to nickel uh, the other day. And so opposite Vernon Hargreaves, you have a, an open corner spot for the Gators. And, you know, Tabor can uh, – you know, you got Tabor on the boundary and then another guy on the field, Hargreaves on the field side. That would be good. Um, you know, that would be a, a great combination and one of the best, I guess, duos uh, at defensive back and, you know, young duos in college football. Uh, so you got him, um, you know, Jalen Hurd. Obviously, Tennessee's running back situation is not ideal. Jalen Hurd's one of the best backs in the country. Uh, you know, he can go in and get some snaps. I think I asked Ken Darrell Scott, who they just got. You know, the Vols haven't had a really good set of running backs in a while, so so they're happy uh, to get those guys. Uh, you know, he mentioned, he mentioned Speedy Noyle, uh, the very fine receiver going to Texas A&M. Texas A&M is going gonna to surprise some people because – you know, I think everybody's got Kenny Hill penciled in to win that job because he's dynamic and can run, and he can throw a little bit. And you know, everybody watched Johnny football in the last two years run around, and you know they think, well, it's a spread with a running quarterback. Well, if you look at what Kevin Sumlin used to do at Houston and sort of his background, it's much more of a pass-happy system. And they've got a kid uh, named Kyle Allen coming in at quarterback. That's one of the top. Uh, top passers in the country. So I'm not so sure it'll be Kenny Hill for the whole year next year. So enter a guy like Speedy Noyle, who's got great ball skills, who's, you know, 5'11", 175, runs 4'3". And you can see that guy, <laughs> he's going to live up to his name and, and could make a lot of plays uh, for the Aggies moving forward. And then, of course, I mentioned Kyle Allen, and he had, he had Kyle Allen there in the top five as well. So, And those were early enrollee guys. That was the... That was the uh, point of the article, the high school guys that enrolled, you know, midterm that could have an early impact as true freshmen. All right, J.C., I was wanting to know, do you mind taking a question from one of our fans? 
Oh, sure, no problem. No problem. All right, I'm going to bring – he's a big LSU fan, J.C., so be easy on him. His name is Brian Burgess. Brian, you're on with J.C. Sherpa. Hey, uh, I enjoyed listening to you on Bill King in the mornings. It's really Thank a you. pleasure to talk to you. Um, what about Trevante Valentine? Does he come to LSU? Because I've heard he's yeah. canceled his visit to Miami. Yeah, everything everything I've heard uh, about him and, and Ryan Bartow from our site had some late-breaking news on him. I guess about 40 minutes ago I saw it come across Twitter. I didn't click on it. So if I'm, <laughs> I hope I'm not wrong about this, but, uh, you know, I, since his decommitment from Miami, all signs have pointed to LSU. Um, down at the Army All-American Bowl, we kind of we talked to him a little bit off the record. On the record, he's like, I'm totally firm to Miami, but I really like LSU, which was sort of an ambiguous statement. And then he kind of hinted to us that, you know, yeah, LSU is really pushing. He really likes Corey Raymond, as recruiter. Um, you know, it, it, he's an LSU type of defensive lineman, and you know, this would have hurt Miami uh, had Miami not gone and gotten two JUCOs that they enrolled midterm because they really needed D-tackle depth. But you got the two JUCOs and you got Anthony Moten, uh, you know, heading to Miami. I think I think they'll be okay. Um, they don't have tried to run a Valentine coming, but uh, they'll be okay. And LSU just does such a great job. The guys that are in that six foot four, three hundred twenty pound range—they're the best school in the country that I've seen at taking, you know, big guys, uh, you know, from Joseph Barksdale on down, and, and 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 developing them. You know, some some schools will get a big old guy and they just kind of give up on that. They won't lose weight, won't get in shape. You know, they kind of put a big premium on the guts not hanging out over the belt. Well, LSU just said, takes that <laughs> gut and you know, turns it into steel <laughs> or a bowling <laughs> ball. And, and they, they you, you'll see those LSU guys. when You'll see guys at LSU sometimes, folks, that, that you see in high school, and you're like, man, 6'6", 360, this guy can't move, blah, blah, blah. Well, the next thing you know, here's LSU lining up uh, on Saturday, and Vern and Gary are calling the game, and, you know, all of a sudden – you know, Gary points out, hey, this guy here in the middle of LSU, watch him here, bang, bang, bang. You know, man, that's that kid that, that couldn't move. It looked like it's, you know, cement in his shoes last time we saw him. And, and LSU develops them and coaches them up quickly. Uh, Vidal uh, Alexander is a perfect example of that. You know, I don't think anybody thought he was going to go in and start as a freshman. Not only started, played very, very well. Um, so it's just a tribute. Uh, to Les Miles and his staff and what they could do with big guys. and I say all that because Trevante Valentine six four three thirty seven, and uh, he's cat quick to be that size. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, going to LSU probably would be a good decision. I don't make decisions for kids, but if I were him, uh, I would probably think, man, you know, they can they can take my beef and, and turn it into something, uh, turn it into – I don't know what he wants to say, steak or something like that. I don't know, but it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, I think Trevante Valentine, uh, you know, will end up in all seriousness will end up an LSU Tiger, and I think it's been trending that way for quite some time. Well, JC, I want to thank you for coming on, Brian. Thanks for the question. I just want to wish you luck during this last week. I'll be I'll be reading and and hoping you know Auburn lands some the big five stars, but I just want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. And I know you're busy, but taking the time to join us, we really appreciate it. Hey, that's no problem. Anytime, guys, it's, it's always fun coming on with you all. If you need me again, let me know. Hey, definitely thanks a lot, will. JC, and 
real quick, tell us how we can uh, follow you guys on 24-7 and how we can follow you on Twitter. JC just just hung up, Trey, and I apologize for that. Can you go ahead and get his information out? Yeah, absolutely. Just, uh, guys, uh, if you haven't followed JC, it's at JC Sherbert uh, on Twitter. You can follow him on Twitter. He He's a great resource for, for a lot of things, uh, recruiting. And then, of course, uh, 247sports.com for all your recruiting needs. And thank you for coming on, JC. Yeah, that was some great information, Trey. That's two interviews tonight that were, were awesome. JC, he doesn't give you just just small answers. He He's thorough about his, his answers. Man, I learned a lot tonight in 30 minutes with JC, Trey, more than I've learned probably the entire year looking at recruiting. Yeah, I mean, obviously he was so popular last time. We had to bring him back on, and we'll, we'll get him back on maybe a post-recruiting uh, National Funding Day to wrap it up all in a nice bow for us. So uh, two great interviews, Carpenter. Good, a good night. Yeah, and uh, Marquise Grissom was our first one. I want to thank him tonight for, for coming on and giving us a, a long interview, a great interview. And J.C. just hit a home run as well. We We want to thank him for that. But, Trey, you know, Florida State, you know, what I'm hearing from my sources, they're about to drop out of the top 20 in recruiting. I think you had the same sources that said the Auburn was going to win the national championship game, right? Man, I was close to that one. Was Man, I was so close. But, but yeah, J.C. really, really nailed it. And I, I look, you know, I don't understand recruiting a lot. I mean, I understand it, but, but the ins and outs of, of what goes on behind the scenes, I think – the the part nobody really gets, Trey. And give me your team right now on National Signing Day that's going to maybe hit a home run and surprise some people. Yeah, I think LSU is going to make a splash on National Signing Day with some big recruits who are still out there with Harvard. And I think the other one might be Florida State or UCLA. I think those are the three teams that I think uh, have a lot of guys sort of on that board. And if they hit home runs, we're going to know about it. Well, I want to let everybody know that this Sunday night – we probably won't have a, sh- a full show. I might do something small after the Super Bowl, but Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. Trey picked the Seattle Seahawks. I'm picking the Denver Broncos, of course. So we'll see who's right. Trey, preseason you picked Seattle to win the, or, or you picked Denver to win the Super Bowl. So you're kind of going against that this week, correct? Yeah, I had Denver over Seattle preseason, uh, and I'm flipping it. I forgot to say, you know, I'm flipping it to Seattle with the weather. Uh, and with the defense for Seattle where they played, Tarvin, I just, you know, I, I don't know, man. There's something about it. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. It was a great show. Listen to it in the archives. Follow us on Twitter at Weigh-In Sports. Uh, also go to our website, weighinsportstalk.com. You can go to Facebook and, and like our page and join our group. Keep up with all the updates, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino. Uh, go follow us on Block Talk Radio as well. But, Trey, great show tonight, man. Be safe in this weather. Hopefully it will move out this weekend and, and we'll be all good. But thanks for the show, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday night. All right. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night.